The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. As they were discussing these things, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet that it is I. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they were still disbelieving for joy and marveling, he said, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it before them. And then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets in the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And he said, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending upon you the promise of my Father, but you're to stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. And leading them out as far as Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And as he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried into heaven, and they worshiped him. And they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple blessing God. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. What holds us back from mission? What holds me back from wild, radical, bold mission? What holds me back from boldly sharing Christ? with the world. Luke says in this text, and really in his whole gospel, that it's a trust issue. It's all about do we trust God enough? Because just before the ascension, here in Luke chapter 24, Jesus lays out a promise about mission. A promise for us about mission. Verse 49 of chapter 24. And behold, Jesus says, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. You see, the promise that Jesus is giving his disciples is the promise of power, the ability, the strength to be on mission to be his witnesses in the world. It's like Jesus is saying, don't worry, you'll have the strength for this. You'll have the strength. Just trust the promise. Yet too often, if I'm honest, I don't trust the promise. I, I don't trust the promise enough. I don't trust the promise of my Father to be clothed with power from on high. In the Bible, we read about faith and belief all over the place. And, and the best word to translate that concept of belief or faith, pisteo in the Greek, is trust. Trust. 
Whenever you read believe or faith, read the word trust because we really understand that concept of trust. Do I trust this person or do I not trust this person? Do I trust this idea or this concept? Will I really put my trust there? Charles Blondin back in the late 19th century was a famous uh, French tightrope walker. Uh, Charles Blondin was famous uh, most for his walk on the tightrope across Niagara Falls. The Canadian side is a lot more impressive. And he was walking across and would, would do this with stilts and all kinds of other bits and, and eventually would, would bring a wheelbarrow across on the tightrope. And there was this moment in 1860 where the Duke of Newcastle was watching the show at Niagara Falls and, and up walks Charles Blondin with the wheelbarrow right up to the Duke of Newcastle and says, Duke of Newcastle, do you believe that I could take a man across the falls on this rope with a man in the wheelbarrow? And of course, caught up in the show, the Duke of Newcastle says, yes, I believe you could. And he says, great, hop in. <laughs> now, of course, the Duke of Newcastle did not hop in to the wheelbarrow because we all have a strong meter within us of what we will trust and put our trust in and what we won't put our trust in. You see, for Luke, in his whole gospel, what he is building here is an argument, 24 chapters, building an argument that you can trust the Father. You can trust the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You can trust him. That's what the entire gospel is about. You see, Luke brilliantly builds his whole gospel faithfully as he, as he composes it. And, and one example of this is when you look at chapter 1, where it begins, and you look now at the text we're in, in chapter 24, you'll see some similarities, but some stark differences. You see, at the beginning in Luke chapter 1, it begins in the temple. And in the temple, a promise is made, a promise to Zechariah, the promise of a son, this miraculous moment. Elizabeth and Zechariah will have a son, John the Baptist. A promise is made in the temple. But in chapter 1, Zechariah can't speak. He's made mute because he doesn't trust the promise. Chapter 1, verse 20, Gabriel says, Behold, Zechariah, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not trust my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Temple, promise, can't speak because he doesn't trust. Luke ends his gospel back in the temple a promise is made, a promise to be filled with power from on high. But here's the difference. These disciples, at the end of it, can't stop talking about Jesus. They can't stop but speak about Jesus because they trusted the promise. Listen to chapter 24, which we just read, verse 52. And they worshiped Jesus. And they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and they were continually in the temple, the public place, the public sphere, continually in the temple, blessing God. They were talking about the good news. 
See, what Luke is showing us is that in 24 chapters, something significant changed. God's promises all of a sudden can be trusted. Why? Well, we'll see. As we look at this text, we'll see why ordinary people like you and me can actually learn to start trusting the promises of God. See, Luke shows us that these disciples learn to trust the Father's promise because first of all, he shows them the problem, the problem with the mission that they're sent on. There's a problem. We got to state that up front. But to deal with the problem, Luke then talks about the promise. So there's a problem with the mission, And then Luke says, well, the Father's got a promise for you that will deal with that problem. But it's not just that there is both a problem and a promise. By the end of this story, there will be proof, proof that you can trust this promise. So first, the problem with mission. How does trust grow? Well, it begins with this question of the problem of mission. Let's be honest. Verse 48 Jesus says to this band of disciples, you are witnesses of these things. You are my witnesses. You disordered, lacking in faith, running away in the time of trial, backstabbing disciples who pretty much every time I told a parable were confused, you are gonna be my witnesses. And the problem is we can laugh at the disciples and then realize that the fingers pointed at us as well. The problem with mission is that we're the ones on mission. That's the problem. I mean, talk about a shot between the eyes, right? We're the problem. The fact is God has given us a mission to share the good news with the world, but he sent us broken, incomplete people as we are with the mission. See, the problem is, If we're honest, the mission is too big for us. We we have to get real up front. The mission is too big for us. Look at what Jesus says about the mission, verse 46 and 47. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. So that's the mission. We are to go out to the world with the story of the death and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth as the solution to the brokenness of sin within us and that we can find forgiveness in no other name but his. Let me be even clearer. We're going into a world with a message of repentance of sin, a world where we are accustomed to self-excusing behavior, self-affirming behavior, self-deifying behavior, and we're gonna come to that culture and say, repent of your sins. If you don't think this mission is too big, listen to what Tim Keller says of the gospel. This is the gospel. The gospel, the good news, the good news we have for the world is this. Summed up like this, you are more sinful than you ever imagined. And you're more loved than you ever dared believe. See, that's the gospel. Sin and love, sin and grace, they go together. But this message is so hard for our world to hear. And not only that, the scope of it is everywhere, right? All nations. It's not just like meet a couple people, check the box, I did submission, we're done. No, until the earth is filled with the praises of God, the mission is not done. Every nation 
Do you see how it's too big for us? If you don't know how big it is, that it's too big for you, trust me, the person sitting next to you knows how big it is for you. The people who live with you, the people who know you, know that the mission is too big for you. When we were in our first, uh, not our first, one of our first parishes, um, it was a three-point parish. That means three congregations in one. And on our introductory weekend, our daughter, our eldest daughter, was 18 months. And she went around with us that Sunday to all three churches. And I had to preach the same sermon at all three churches. And Monica and Annabelle sat there, 18 months old, through the whole thing. By the time we got to the third church, Annabelle was done. And she's squirming in the back seat. And I finally said, Monica, just put her down. And she put her down. We're in this little tiny log church. Yes, think log cabin, log church with an outhouse in northern British Columbia. And Annabelle walks up the aisle. And it was adorable. She came to daddy. I picked her up. And I thought, this is a great moment. It's, it's going to seal the deal for the congregation. They're going to say, look, here's the new priest. And he's a father. And as I continue to speak, holding her, she reached out and grabbed my lip. And I moved her hand away and I said, oh, sweetie, daddy's got to keep talking. And I kept preaching and she reached out again. (laughs) Happened a couple more times until I finally realized she was trying to send a message. Daddy, I've heard you talk to these people far too long. And of course, at some place, it was kind of like a vision for me. It was like a little moment of humility to say, yeah, in that moment, there's my 18-month-old kind of saying, Daddy, why are you telling all these people these things? Who are you to be talking about all this stuff? These people are, you think they're just going to sit here and listen? And it was, it, was a, it was a cold bucket of water on my head in that moment. But it reminds us of just how inadequate we are as we go into mission. You see, this mission is too big for us. And we need to acknowledge that up front. Part of dealing with it is recognizing that it's too big for us. As I've said many times before, when we're faced with a call of God, a mission from God that is too big, we have two options, right? It's just too big for us. Either what we can do is we can reduce the scope of the vision and say, well, it's too big, so I'll make it a man-sized, manageable vision. Or... I will accept the size of the vision and accept my inability to do it and throw myself wildly on the mercy of God. But isn't it true that so often we opt for number one? So often we reduce the size. It's too big, so let's make it manageable. And we feel kind of guilty about that. You know, we know we're called to be on mission. We're called to share the gospel and we don't really do it that much. We've reduced the call. But you know, I'll tell you, it's amazing. We're really good at covering up our guilt we're, we're masters at distraction, right? So we just distract ourselves. We get busy doing other things. We, we distract ourselves with entertainment. We distract ourselves with our smartphones. We distract ourselves with the World Cup. There was a man sitting at the World Cup. He's there at the World Cup. And he looks over at the man across from him. And there's a seat vacant between them. And the guy looks at the other guy and says, can you imagine someone missing the World Cup final? Like, it's the final. And the man says, well, you know, actually, that's my wife's seat. We've been to five World Cup finals, but she passed away. 
And he said, oh, that, that's, that's terrible. I'm so sorry. But certainly wasn't there someone in your family or friends or someone else you knew who, you know, could have come instead? And he said, no, they're all at the funeral. <laughs> we laugh because it's far too true. We're distracted. We're distracted from the size of the mission. We know that we're called. We know it's too big for us. That's the problem. But thanks be to God, Jesus doesn't just leave us with a problem. See, Luke shows us that then there's a promise, a promise from the Father that deals with the problem. The mission is too big for us, and so there's the promise, the promise of the Father. Verse 49, you are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending upon you the promise of my Father. But you are to stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. What a phrase, clothed with power from on high. I mean, what, what the promise is, is anticipating the gift of the Holy Spirit that will come on the day of Pentecost. The Spirit of God that would come upon people in the Hebrew Bible, prophets, priests, and kings to make them capable, to make them able to do these mighty deeds they were called to do. They were able to do more than they could ask or imagine as we pray at the end of our service in our doxology. This is what the Holy Spirit's presence does. But what's amazing is now the promise is, according to the book of Joel, the Father put a promise in the Scripture. The Holy Spirit's not a New Testament innovation. The, the Holy Spirit's not sort of a New Testament plan B. The planned giving of the Holy Spirit was prophesied and promised by the Father in the Old Testament. Not just ultimately for prophets, priests, and kings, but now as Joel chapter 2 prophesies, and Peter quotes him on the day of Pentecost, it shall come to pass in the latter days that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirits. On the day of Pentecost, that fire and that wind comes upon the believers and they're filled with that promise. The promise comes true. It's, it's amazing to see a person living out that power and promise of the Holy Spirit, an ordinary Christian. When I was in Cambodia a number of years ago with Monica, I was teaching on leadership. And so for two of the days we were there, I was teaching leadership to a group of local indigenous pastors. And it was great through translators and the rest and went so well. But then they said, would you take the same seminar and deliver it to a group of foreign aid, nonprofit executives? And I said, sure, right? They were all, again, indigenous foreign aid, nonprofit executives. So we did the seminar, but it just felt so different. Like nothing was landing. It's through interpreters, but still they, they were cold. They were unresponsive. I found out after lunch the first day that no one in the room that they were aware of was a believer. They were all totally secular and in most cases Buddhist, Khmer, foreign aid executives. And so I thought, man, here we go. So I just kept pressing through. And at one point at the second day, 
my translator turned to me and he said, I don't understand what you're talking about. And, and it was, I was kind of ramping up much more of the Bible portion and I was pulling up more examples from scripture. And, and, and he just said, I don't know what these words mean you're using. And there was this one man that didn't fit the rest. All these executives, you know, business suits. There was this one guy disheveled, you know, looked very poor, very much not in that class of all those guys in that room. And he put up his hand and he started talking to the translator and it turned out that man was a pastor, a Christian pastor. And so he got up as my new translator. We hadn't really worked together yet. Thinking, okay, here we go. And I started speaking and he started translating and you could see the power, the fire. His, his voice got louder and louder. And I'll tell you, these secular, mostly Buddhist, nonprofit, foreign aid, Khmer executives started leaning forward. Eyes were opening. People were responding. We ended with what was the equivalent of a tent meeting revival by the end of this, what was in my hands, a completely useless seminar. But this one man filled clearly with the power of God, clothed with power from on high, had shattered through those executives' shields. And they were hearing the gospel. Power from on high is the promise for us. That's the promise. But we're not sure we trust it, do we? That's the problem, right? See, we, we believe the scriptures and yet we struggle with trusting. Will that power really be there if I step out in mission? If I open up my mouth? If I actually try to declare Jesus to my friends and my family and my neighbors and coworkers? It's an amazing comfort that the Holy Spirit lives for sure in the life of believers. 1 Corinthians 12, 3 has a fabulous phrase we should write on our walls. No one can say Jesus is Lord, Paul says, except by the Holy Spirit. In other words, you will have an inability to fully confess the name of Jesus without the Holy Spirit's presence. If you are a believer today, even if you're holding onto a mustard seed of faith, but you can say Jesus is Lord, then the Holy Spirit, that promise from the Father, is living in you. You've got the Holy Spirit living in you. But here's the other thing that Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, don't quench the Spirit. Do you hear that crazy juxtaposition? You, you can't be a Christian and not have the Spirit, but somehow we have the power to quench the Spirit. And do you know how I most often quench the power of the Holy Spirit? Is when I don't trust his power living in me. When fear begins to rise and I choose not to speak and to be less bold and less zealous because I don't trust the powers there. That's quenching the Spirit. Like I said at the beginning, it all comes down to trust, doesn't it? Luke, Luke says the whole thing's about trust. Do you trust the promise of the Father? This is the promise that has been given to all believers. Do you trust it? And Jesus, as we close, in this ascension moment, as he ascends into heaven, he gives us a gift. See, it's not just enough for him to identify the problem the mission's too big for us. It's not even enough for him to say there's a promise from the Father. Before Jesus leaves his disciples in the ascension, he leaves them with proof. 
He leaves them with a moment of proof that will show them finally and fully the trustworthiness of the promises of God. He leaves them with the reality that they know now beyond a shadow of a doubt that they can trust the promise of the Father. How? Here's how. Verse 50 says that he led them out as far as Bethany. And he lifted up his hands, Luke said, and blessed them. And as he was blessing them, he was carried into heaven. He left them. Now, carefully listen to what Luke says there. He's not mincing words. He's not sloppily throwing these words around. He's very intentional. He takes them out as far as Bethany, and it says, and he lifted up his hands. He lifted up his hands to bless them. Now, Luke has spent a lot of time in this chapter talking about the hands and the feet of Jesus. As John 20 makes so clear, That as Jesus rises from the dead, one of the most amazing distinguishing marks as he reveals himself to his disciples is the wounds of the crucifixion still born in his resurrected body. When he lifts up his hands to bless the disciples there on the Mount of Ascension at Bethany, what are they seeing other than the wounds of crucifixion? They see those hands. And here's where it's amazing. Luke then says, as he was blessing them, he parted from them and was taken up to heaven. In other words, what Luke says is in that moment, in that very moment, in that very posture, that was the final image that was given to the disciples of their risen Lord and Savior. The ascension picture, can you see it in your mind? It was etched in their minds for the next generations of disciples. The last image they had of their Lord and Savior as he ascended, the last snapshot was hands out, blessing them with those wounds of Calvary. They were looking at his hands as he was taken from them. And that moment, everything changed for them. Do you follow? You see, verse 44 and 46 tells us that the crucifixion, the death of the Messiah, the suffering of Jesus was written in Scripture. In other words, the Father promised The Christ must suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and the repentance and forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Do you hear that? In other words, the father made a promise in the Bible, made a promise again and again and again throughout scriptures, like when he was on that road to Emmaus with those disciples, opening the scriptures, showing them all the places where this Messiah must suffer. In all those places, the Father was making a promise, a promise that Jesus would suffer and die. It was promised in Scripture, as Revelation chapter 13, verse 8 says, he was crucified from the foundation of the world. And as those disciples are on that mount of ascension at Bethany, And he lifts up his hands and blesses them. In that moment, the final image given, they see in those wounded hands this truth that changes our lives. That the Father keeps his promises, even if it means the death of his Son. As Romans 8 says, what then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, 
who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, will he not with him give us everything else? What holds me back from mission? What holds me back from bold, wild, radical, zealous mission and sharing of Christ with the world? Well, Luke says it's a trust issue because we've been promised something. We've been promised that as we go out on mission, we will have the promise of the Father, power, clothed with power from on high, able to do more than we could ask or imagine. That's the promise. But do we believe the promise? Look to the ascension. Luke says, look to the end of my book, he says, and let me show you that you can trust the promise of the Father. The Father proves that he will always keep his promises, even if it means the death of his son. And he led them out as far as Bethany. And he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And as he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried into heaven. And they worshiped him. And they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple, in the marketplaces, in the world, blessing God and declaring the good news. Will we trust the promise of the Father? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.